So, uh, Professor, for the first question, uh, I'd like to ask if you think that the formation of the Zionist regime is considered a sinister phenomenon only for the Palestinians who were uh, expelled from their homeland and are constantly persecuted, or do you think that uh, its sinister nature um, is not limited to the Palestinians and put other nations of the world in danger and in trouble as well? The problem here is when you limit the phenomenon to Zionism, you automatically limit it to the Middle East and then you limit it to the Palestinians. The Zionist uh, entity is composed of Jews. And once you broaden this topic to talk about Jews and Jewish influence, you're talking about the entire world. You're talking about the Jews' control over uh, the, the government of the United States, uh, you talk about the Jews' control over basically every European nation where they've instituted hate crimes laws, uh, which make it impossible to criticize a Jew. It's impossible to say anything that a Jew doesn't like uh, under pain of going to jail. So you have to broaden this issue. The problem is people are afraid to say the word Jew, and that goes for Iran as well. I, I had a book, a small book called Jews and Moral Subversion. Uh, I don't read Farsi, but someone who does told me that the title was translated to Zionism and moral subversion. That You miss the point at that point, because Zionism is one manifestation of the Jewish revolutionary spirit. This is the second edition of that book. It just came out. Okay, The Jewish revolutionary spirit in the 19th century had two manifestations. Uh, Marxism... You hold the book as your... Uh, it yes. So we can see it. Okay. This is now available at culturewars.com. It's a three-volume book. Here are two of the three volumes. Uh, so the the manifest the manifestation. It's available at culturewars.com or fidelitypress.org. You can order a copy now. Okay. So the manifestation of the Jewish revolutionary spirit in the 19th century was it had two parts, okay? There was Jewish nationalism, which was Zionism, which was not very important at that point until it didn't become important until the arrival of Theodore Herzl. And then you had Jewish internationalism, which was otherwise known as socialism or communism. Now, there was an internal battle among the Jews over which of these was going to be dominant. And over a period of time, one dominated and then the other. So in the, in the initial phase, it was communism and socialism, Jewish internationalism, that was a dominant uh, strain of thought in the Jewish community. In 1967, that changed in America, and the American Jews switched their allegiance from socialism to Zionism. And to that time, it's up till this time, it's, uh, Zionism has been the dominant ideology. Thank you. Thank you, Professor. Um, as you know, we are an anti-war and anti-information group in the Middle East. And uh, one issue that we are examining uh, is the root and the causes of war and insecurity in the region in the Middle East. Uh, some people uh, believe that... Uh, what is happening in Afghanistan, in Libya, in Syria, or Iran, uh, including wars and sanctions, uh, is closely linked to Israel's real. What is your opinion on this regard? If you're talking about the war uh, 
in uh, Iraq, if you're talking about the war in Afghanistan, and if you're talking about the ongoing war against Iran, there is only one source of that. It's not the American people. It's the Israel lobby. Now, to be specific, uh, in 2003, a a revolutionary ideology known as neoconservatism took over the Bush administration in the aftermath of 9-11 and used 9-11 as an excuse to invade Iraq. Okay, that was led by Dick Cheney in in the White House. Uh, That was a that that was a Jewish revolutionary movement. Uh, It had links to the other Jewish revolutionary movements. Uh, I'm talking about Irving Kristol in particular, who was a Trotskyite during the 1930s. Um, Can you hear the beeping sound as well? I I can hear you. I can't see you. Your picture disappeared. All right, it's back now. All right, it's gone. See me now? No, now it's on. I can see. Yeah. Yeah, please go ahead. Neoconservatism, because of Irving Kristol, there was a link between neoconservatism, which is on the right wing of the political spectrum, and the Trotskyite faction of the Communist Party, which is the extreme left wing. Now, there is no political common denominator here. The only common denominator is the Jew and the Jewish revolutionary spirit. That's why you need this concept to understand the movement of history. Um, What can we say about this uh, Jewish revolution, as you said? Uh, Are there any documents about it, like you said? Yeah, I have. This is is a book. This begins with uh, Christianity, with Jesus Christ on earth. When Jesus Christ comes to this earth and the Jews have to accept him as the Messiah. Well, uh, they have to accept Jesus Christ on his terms. Jesus Christ is the Logos. Logos is reason. It's the order of the universe. And when you reject Christ, you reject Logos because he's the Logos incarnate. And when you reject Logos, you reject the social order ordained by God. And when you reject that, you become a revolutionary. And that's what they did. They became revolutionaries when they chose Barabbas over Christ. Give us Barabbas, crucify Christ. That is their identity to this day. They are at war. The Jews are at war with Logos. They are never happy unless they are overthrowing some manifestation of the social order. They did that completely in the United States, uh, beginning with whatever, abortion to gay marriage, the whole sexual revolution, pornography. That was a Jewish creation. And it was created to destroy the social order so that they could rule without any uh, resistance. Yes. Uh, Professor, speaking of cultures, uh, what do you think about the combination of Zionism and other cultures and societies? Uh, what, is it uh, happening? What is, what's happening? And um, what are the results? I, I think the most uh, powerful manifestation of Zionism was National Socialism in Germany. Uh, This was paradoxical because Hitler was an enemy of the Jews, but everything he did was an imitation of Jewish uh, privilege, of Jewish racial consciousness, and of of, uh, Jewish, uh, the desire to overthrow uh, the order. That, that That wasn't the main issue 
with Hitler. It was his desire to overthrow the Weimar Republic and Jewish hegemony at that time. But the whole racial uh, basis of National Socialism was exactly parallel to the Zionist uh, idea of racial superiority that the Jews have. Now we have uh, people who are uh, a supposedly white nationalist or white supremacist. And if you read these people, they all admire the Jews. They don't like the Jews, but they admire them. And now the white people want their own ethnostate. Same thing is true of the black side of the racial equation. There is this constant tendency toward black Zionism, uh, the desire to have a black ethnostate, the desire for blacks to be revolutionaries, and it was fostered by Jews. It's fostered now by Jews like George Soros. George Soros created Black Lives Matter. $33 million he gave them in 2016 to create Black Lives Matter during the riots in Ferguson. Wow. Thank you. I think uh, that was surprising to hear, actually. And uh, Listen, I, I went through this in Iran, okay? My good friend Nader Talabzadeh organized a conference, uh, and he invited all of these black nationalists there, and nobody seemed to understand that this whole— these blacks now are proxy warriors of the Jews. I, he didn't know. I had to tell him in person that it was George Soros that gave Black Lives Matter $33 million. They didn't know that. And then I'm on press TV, and the man starts talking to me about white supremacism as a threat in the United States. I said, this is completely made up. This is a fiction that was created basically to overthrow uh, Donald Trump and the Republican Party. It doesn't exist in reality. So it's not surprising that you don't know about it because no one's ever going to say it on the mainstream news. Even press TV, even people like that didn't know about it. Uh, professor, I think the first thing that pops in my mind is uh, why would Jews um, do such a thing, especially in a Black Lives Matter movement? Because there aren't enough Jews to do anything. They are always a small minority and they can't accomplish anything on their own, especially not in a democratic political system where you need a certain number of votes. They always need proxy warriors. That's always been the history of the Jews. That's why they do this type of stuff. That's why they support these front groups. And they're on both sides of the political spectrum. So you have Black Lives Matter or Bolshevism on the left side. You've got neoconservatism on the right side. They're always trying to use people as their front men. So uh, thank you, Professor. Um, in other words, um, do you think uh, that it is possible to be anti-war in the Middle East, especially, and but indifferent uh, to Israel and its role in the region? No. Israel is the main source of uh, conflict in the Middle East. There's no other source of conflict. Now, I am saying that you, you can't just leave it with Israel either. You have to talk about Jews. I, I did. I said this in. Uh, there was a conference in Mashhad, and I try. I tried tried to bring this up, saying you can't just say Zionism, because the people in in America who are supporting this are not necessarily Zionists. They're American Jews. Is Sheldon Adelson? I mean, obviously he was a, 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 had a lot of connections with Israelis, but he was an American Jew. You can't really talk about this issue about a war. Unless you talk about the fact that American Jews basically took over the American government. 
in 2003 and then use the American government to achieve their goal, uh, their geopolitical goals. That's what happened. You can't talk about it unless you talk about that fact. So I said, we have to talk about Jews in America. Well, uh, Miko Pellet was there. He's a, a, a peace activist, an Israeli peace activist. But he got offended by the fact that I said that we have to talk about American Jews. So it's, it's a controversial topic, but I don't see how else we're going to uh, deal with the issue unless we deal with the Jewish sponsorship of war. Mm-hmm. Uh, Professor, do you think that the ideological principles of um, every culture, most of cultures, uh, is somehow paralyzed against Zionism? Yeah, I, th- I think that the instruments of government have been paralyzed, yes. Yes, we, we have a situation now where we don't have representative government in the United States of America because of powerful Jewish actors like the Israel lobby, uh, because of that, because money has basically taken over American politics. The same thing has happened throughout Europe. The Jews have taken control of those cultures, all of those cultures. And the main uh, vehicle, the main weapon they use is the, the concept of anti-Semitism. And the main event they used to justify that is uh, what happened in Germany during World War II, the persecution of Jews in Germany in World War II. They, that combined, if you take that, I, I know the situation in Germany very well because I was there and I've written about it. There's a chapter, uh, a chapter uh, in my other book, Logos Rising, uh, uh, called uh, Werner Heisenberg and Jewish Science, which documents the story of social engineering in Germany after World War II. The purpose of social engineering is the moral corruption of the people because moral corruption leads to weakness and disunity, and the Jews know that. And so they use the American government to promote this moral subversion of the American people through sexual liberation, through the uh, flooding the country with pornography, Uh, beginning in the 1950s. Uh, You can't understand why Germany is weak unless you look at the combination of Jewish influence based on the Holocaust and then Jewish participation in moral subversion, uh, largely through the promotion of the sexual sexual revolution. It was a German Jew, actually an Austrian Jew by the name of Wilhelm Reich, who created the term sexual revolution. I cover that in my book, uh, Libido Dominandi, Sexual Liberation and Political Control. Uh, Professor, um, what we just discussed made me uh, curious about you and uh, the cost of of being uh, an anti-Zionist in other countries. Uh, Can you tell us about your experiences in this matter? Yes, uh, I, I, uh, uh, the first edition of the Jewish Revolutionary Spirit came out 13 years ago, and I was immediately blacklisted by the Southern Poverty Law Center and the Anti-Defamation League, which are two Jewish terrorist organizations. They're secret police, they're spy, espionage, domestic espionage agencies, and their job is to destroy anyone who criticizes Jews. So they tried to do that, but then uh, the internet came along and the internet got powerful and I began to have a large following on the internet. Uh, 50,000 subscribers to my YouTube channel and so on and so forth. And then the Jews organized organized their hate speech campaign of 2019 and I was uh, removed from uh, 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 YouTube uh, 
and uh, Twitter and some other channels. So that that's the price I had to pay. It's nothing compared to the price that people have to pay in Europe. My friend uh, Jez Turner in, in London uh, wrote uh, did a video on the Jewish police force in London. Everybody knows it exists. Everybody knows it's unconstitutional. <clears throat> but if some Jew in England doesn't like what you say, you go to jail there because they have hate speech laws. So America is still relatively free in this regard. How long it stays that way is is anyone's guess. Oh, uh, thank you, Professor. Um, if you have, uh, you know, any other uh, essays, any comments about this regard, about Israel-Palestine, especially around these days, because um, a couple of days ago was the Quds uh, Day, and uh, you're, you feel that they're important to say, you're uh, free to say. Yes, I think we're go we're seeing uh, another uprising in, in Jerusalem. I think this one was created by the Jews. Okay, they were they went. I think if you want my uh, honest opinion, I think the Jews now feel that they have so much power that they will able be able to now tear down the mosque, the Al Aqsa Mosque, and rebuild the temple. I think that there are certain strains in Jerusalem who feel that way. And then once they have their temple in Jerusalem, that will be the final signal that they rule the entire world. There is a large group of people in uh, Israel and elsewhere, Jews elsewhere, who uh, think this way. And I think this is maybe their initial uh, stage uh, in bringing about that goal. I think we need to view this from a theological perspective uh, because this is not the first time that the Jews have tried to rebuild the temple. Uh, if you read the chapter on Julian the Apostate in the Jewish Revolutionary Spirit, uh, you'll see that they tried this in the 4th century. Uh, the emperor, Julian, uh, wanted to uh, destroy Christianity. He knew that his best ally in this regard would be uh, the Jews, and so he made an alliance. His part of the deal was to use the best engineer the Roman Empire had to rebuild the temple. So they cleared away the foundation. You have to clear away the foundation. Same as today, you would have to get rid of that mosque. And once the foundation is clear, uh, they took Olypius, the engineer, took the first stone and he put it down on the foundation. As soon as the stone touched the foundation, fire erupted from the earth and killed all the Jews. Now, this is a historical fact. There were three witnesses to this. One was a Catholic one was an Aryan, and one was a pagan. They all agreed that this happened. There are Jews who agree. It's Heinrich Graetz tried to pretend he's the father of Jewish historiography. He tried to pretend that it was under, underground gas deposits that exploded. Uh, but they, uh, the Jews know that this happened once, and the question is, is it going to happen again? And Professor, for the last question, um, do you think Israel is now focused on a psych of people, I mean, the minds? Do you think that uh, they're trying to uh, mind control people, the Zionists? Of course they are. What do, you, what do you think Hollywood is? Hollywood is Jewish mind control. And there was a time when the Catholic Church in America kept Hollywood under control, but that ended in 1965. So the Jews now have unfettered access to the mind of the American people, uh, and uh, the only thing preventing that is uh, 
conversations like this where we can use the uh, media at our disposal to create a different, more accurate consciousness. And how do you think we can, first of all, do you think is there any way to fight against them on this matter and how? Uh, first of all, we have to uh, propose. Now, now let, let me take a step back here again. Uh, if you're talking about the movement of history, God is in charge of the movement of history. How does God move in history? He allows people to do evil because he has to allow evil because he, that's part of free will. But he allows the evil to destroy itself. Uh, Hegel called this the cunning of reason. So the Jew, because the Jew doesn't understand Logos or because he's in rebellion of Logos, he doesn't understand limits. And because he doesn't understand limits, he always takes a step too far. So the only question is, when is he going to take that step too far? And that's something we don't know in the moment. This may be what we're seeing now in Jerusalem, maybe that step too far. The attempt to build the temple, maybe that step too far. But we can't, we can't say for sure. We just know because of the, our understanding of the Jewish psyche that it's going to happen. And we have to be able to understand it when it happens and interpret it properly so that people understand what's going on. Well, uh, Professor, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for joining us here. Uh, it was great to have you. It was uh, very good to talk to you, sir. Okay. Send me the link, okay? Yes, of course. We'll send you the uh, uh, video, and after you approve, we will publish them. Great. Okay. Thank Thanks so very much. much. Thank you. Take care. Choda Hafez. Choda Hafez. <laughs>